0: At it again. So tonight we're gonna go into the belly of the beast, go right to the, the core of the Buddha's teachings, which is origination. dependent origination, padakasamapada. Everybody know how to say that? Sounds like a bongo riff. Parakasamapada. It's a triplet, a couplet in the tune. da. Parakasamu Pada. Parakasama Pada. Parakasamu Pada. Okay. Parakasama pa. All together now. Yeah, if we had to put together a few words with different rhythms, and then we could have a whole uh, you know ensemble going here and uh we'll call it poly rather than music. Um So the Buddha said, one who sees dependent origination sees the Dhamma. That is the whole of his teachings. One who sees the Dhamma sees dependent origination. So this is it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Uh, Okay. Okay. I wasn't sure if I was picking up a look. Maybe you were just... reading your page. So... Hopefully this won't go too long tonight, but because of the importance and richness and and a little bit of the complexity, uh, we may go a little bit longer tonight. Um, But we'll see. We'll see. Be warned. Uh, Dependent origination means everything is dependent on something else for its origination. That's what it means. Or more simply, everything has a cause, and that cause has a cause, and the cause of that cause has a cause. Uh, so I oftentimes visualize dependent origination as a bunch of dominoes that are standing on their end. You know, when you hit over one and it, it knocks down the next and the next and the next and the next, as illustrated on your, okay? Only the independent origination, uh, it's important to note that the first domino to go over is like really, really, really tiny and very hard to see. And each domino knocks over one that's slightly larger than than it. So by the time you get to the end, you get the whole catastrophe. You know, grief, pain, lamentation, sorrow, despair, the whole catastrophe. Bummers of all varieties. Um, nature is um, made of, is put together in uh, lots of these strings of causation that all put in the matrix in which everything is directly or indirectly, dependent on everything else. So they're all over the place. But the Buddha was interested in just a very specific class of these uh, causal series, ones that lead to suffering. That was his his major concern. Um, So what he did was he reverse-engineered his suffering. He just he looked at it very very carefully uh, until he could uh, see how it works, and he saw that his suffering was always preceded by some kind of action, and the action could be uh, external, you know, as in a physical action or a verbal action, or it could be internal, you know, identification or a resistance or something. But there was some type of in, in Buddhism, action uh, can refer to a strictly internal event. So the suffering was preceded by an internal event. That internal uh, event was, um, in turn, was uh, arose out of what um, we call habitual tendencies, which are just our collection of habitual patterns which had been stimulated by a thought. Uh, and the thought had been stimulated uh, by... Um, uh, by some kind of tightening and so on back down this this causal string. So we'll we'll unpack all that a little bit more. So he uh, reverse-engineered the process leading to his own suffering. Usually we reverse-engineer something. We reverse-engineer a widget so we can build our own widget, maybe even a better one. Um, But I don't think the Buddha was ever interested in helping us um, create our own misery. We seem to be pretty good at that already. Um, he wanted to reverse engineer it so he could figure out how to stop it. You know, how to keep one of those dominoes from falling over or take one out of the line or spread them all out so they don't hit each other or do something so we could somehow just unplug the whole series and get it to stop. And he did it. He did it. It worked. It solved his problem. But it doesn't solve ours, unfortunately. We have to reverse engineer our own suffering. He really can't do it for us. And the reason that we have, one of the reasons, one of the many reasons we have to do it ourselves is that um, that suffering is is subjective. Suffering is internal. Um, There may be external events in that causal chain, but ultimately dukkha suffering is something that we experience inside. So the Buddha's description um, actually is just an approximation. You know, each of our experiences will be a little bit different. So to solve our problem, we have to understand the workings of our own angst and dissatisfaction uh, to a degree that. Um, no one else can quite tell us. So we have to do it ourselves. However, if we look openly, uh, clearly, kindly, at our own internal experience, everything we need to learn is actually right there. It's, uh, it's writ large. But ultimately, to unplug our own suffering, we have to reverse-engineer ourselves. So what I would like to do tonight is uh, we're going to begin and uh, play a little game here uh, on uh, get some practice on reverse engineering. Okay? And then we will look at some models of dependent origination. So what I would like to do is... Uh, We'll, we'll take an event that is a collective event and we'll see if we can reverse engineer it. Okay. So what I would like to do is to reverse engineer the dependent origins of Donald Trump becoming our president. Okay? I can see some groans. Right. This is a great example to use because it's highly charged right, for a lot of us. You know. we have really you know strong strong feelings about it, and when there's a lot of charge on it, you know, are thinking we can get disturbed by our own opinions and ideas and and beliefs about what's right and wrong and all the rest of it, and our own suffering is really highly charged. To be able to do it, uh, you know, in the in a calm setting is like easy, but our own suffering can be so charged that we get completely thrown by what we like and dislike and want and our stubborn ideas about what's right and wrong and all the rest of that so um, so this will be a great one to do even if some of you come at this with a little bit of trepidation and I will, pardon? not at all Okay. <laughs> um, to go. Mm-hmm. you weren't the only one I saw <laughs> so um, what we're not going to do is we're not going to debate uh, the value or the harm of uh, Donald Trump being our president. And that's for another place. The only question is, what are the dependent origins? What were the, what were the causes and conditions? What was a causal chain that uh, led to him becoming our president? And to uh, facilitate all this, somebody is just going to write these up there, so we go up. So, what I would invite you to do uh, to begin with is just um, sort of name uh, what you believe were some of the contributing causes, and, and we will just list them up here. Uh, we're not going to debate them. We'll just we'll just list them.
1: Seventeen people in the primaries. Seventeen people in the the primaries.
0: Seventeen people in the Republican primaries. Okay.
1: White folk feeling disenfranchised. Okay.
0: I may abbreviate some of these just for space. So, disenfranchised, particularly poor, yeah. Racism. Racism.
1: Name recognition.
0: Name recognition.
1: Very
2: wealthy. Very wealthy. Outsider.
0: Outsider. Comey's letter.
2: Who's that? Comey's letter.
0: Comey's letter? James Comey's um, letter to Congress?
3: disparity.
0: Economic disparity.
4: Inciting violence.
0: Inciting violence. And the
4: anger that goes with it. Pardon? Inciting this one, but you needed the angry ground.
0: Anger is anything know. Taxation. Taxation. The internet. Oops. Internet. Mm-hmm. Nobody has mentioned media yet. Exception. Media. You think about racism. Okay. The Russians. Russian interference. Yep. Bill Clinton's presidency, sexism, sexism, Mm -hmm. big bang. bang. (laughs) 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 The universe didn't exist. We wouldn't have a problem. (laughs) Okay, we're done. Some of these comments are describing people's feelings about Trump that are not necessarily causes of him being elected. So, so what I want to do is we're going to start. We're going to put them all up up there. And then we're then we're going to take some of this apart a little bit, and and what you're talking about is uh, is important, and that's one of the things we're going to look at. So,
5: if you're talking about the chain of events,
4: the, the last chain of events is he got elected.
0: Oh, <laughs> the, the last in the chain of events is is him being elected. Yeah. And then okay. 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 <laughs> so, yeah, we'll put that up there.
1: Distrusted.
0: Distrust in the media. Too much trust in media. (laughs) Too much trust in media. Fake news. Fake news.
2: Loss
3: of manufacturing industries.
0: Loss of manufacturing industry.
2: Uh, Trump's understanding of how to work
0: the crowd or masses. So, uh, how could we do that quickly? Trump's, oh, campaign.
2: Trump's campaign?
0: Campaign style, yeah. Which covers a lot of stuff. We'll just get something that captures it. Uh, globalization. No, but, but this is okay, If but if you have some more, let's get them up there. But we don't necessarily have to get everything Divisiveness. up Divisiveness. Pardon? Divisiveness.
5: Divisiveness. As a, young, as a citizen of another country, this does feel really loaded. Uh-huh. Right, really loaded. I would. I mean, this is very simplistic, but I would just say nominated, campaigned, voted, elected.
0: Okay, you're putting <laughs> on... <home. laughs> Okay. Nomination? Uh, the nomination
2: Yeah,
0: the electoral college. Yeah.
2: Not having a strong democratic candidate. Okay. Yeah. Fear, I oh, yeah.
0: fear? Oh, yeah. Fear. Despair. Despair. Hillary Clinton. Oh. Yeah, we all don't have to agree on these. What I, what I just want to do is, is, is get as much stuff up there, and then we're going to do some a little bit of analyzing and, and take this take this apart. Fundamentalism. Christianity. Pardon me? Fund, fundamentalism. Twitter? <laughs> Pardon?
2: A lack of interest in American voting.
0: So uh, low vote. Voting. I'm trying to get it simple. So low vote participation. Low, low, low turnout, low vote turnout.
5: Skewed poll
2: numbers.
0: Skewed poll numbers.
5: have what would happen.
0: Right.
2: One event is two Democratic presidencies right before this election.
0: Okay, um, two previous Democratic presidents. Change. Okay, um, th- this is this is enough for us to work with. If uh, another one comes up, they say we really miss. We'll put it up there. Distrust. Distrust. So, to unpack this, uh, a couple of things. Joy, so we want to see if we can sort of create some causal chains out of this. Okay, good luck. Um, that, first of all, that the causal chains are not always linear. Right? You can have one, one line of events that breaks up into multiple events, and you can also have multiple events that converge down to one, and you can also have circular events. So this doesn't necessarily have to be linear. But the most important thing in separating this out and for our purposes of where we're going is to um, make a distinction between what, um, and I've played around to try to find the right language for this, uh, to make the distinction between triggers and root causes, a difference between something that sparks an event and something which is an essential ingredient without which it wouldn't be there.
1: Does opinion factor into that
0: analysis? Sure, if we can put opinion up there.
1: I mean, should it? Or
0: should it not? Uh, should I, I'm not, not... Should opinion yes. figure into...
1: The um, the whole process of what we're doing, actually, of determining what the cause is, is it fact or opinion?
0: Okay. That's- I'm still not quite getting it. So uh, separation of fact and opinion could be a factor in all of this, Are you saying that our process, if, if we can say the see the difference between fact and opinion.
2: I think she's talking about our discussion, that our, whatever we are coming up with, has yeah. our opinions built into it, do
0: it. Okay, let, let, me, let me just say this right up front. We are not going to solve uh, or uh, analyze what really happened. Okay, but what I want to do is for, is for us to kind of wade into it, because you're right. Um, uh, ours are going to just be partially educated opinions and guesses at all this. So this is an exercise in looking at uh, finding causal relationships. And one of the difficulties in sorting that out is that we do have strong opinions, and that can distort how we look at it. So uh, that's one of the reasons I wanted something that was really charged. Um, because the Buddha asked us to look at things you know, objectively and impersonally. And there's a lot of places we can do that, but things that are very near you know, and things that are really charged are, are the word that won the, the day yesterday. <laughs> things that are really charged can get distorted really quickly. Um, so we're actually not going to send this to Washington and say, here's the fix. <laughs> Thank you for that. Okay. Um, causes and triggers uh, Ananda once uh, asked the Buddha he, he said, venerable sir in what way can a monk be called skilled independent origination let's just kind of get into yours um,
1: doesn't the Buddha say you have to experience things yourself
0: I'll, I'll read what he said okay. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> yes he did. he did say that um, skilled independent origination, and what he what he said was, uh, When this exists, that comes to be when this arises, that arises. when this does not exist, that does not come to be when this ceases, that ceases now i don 't know about you, but I, when I first read this, I, you know it 's like <coughs> Uh, you know it looks like a bunch of tautologies or something it 's like uh, what 's it all talking about, but you look at it really closely, uh, and this is the example I think of. Um, if you have a match and I, th- I throw a lighted of match into a field of dry grass, you have a huge fire so what 's the cause from the Buddhist perspective of that fire you. me. Okay? The match. The match. So, pardon? The fire
2: on the match and you throwing
0: the match. The fire on the match and me throwing it?
2: Dry Dry grass.
0: Dry grass. Causes and conditions. Yes. So, you you notice what he says here. When this ceases, that ceases. So, I'm to blame legally, and when he you know use um, the meaning of the English word for cause, I caused it. But that's not what he means by causation because once the fire is going, once I've thrown the match, you can take me and the match out of there and the fire continues. So what he was really interested in is how do we alleviate suffering? So he was looking for things which if they are removed from it, it stops. Oxygen. Oxygen. Yeah, the fuel. fuel. Okay, so... um, to alleviate suffering, uh, we really have to remove the. Uh, the my other word for it is, is, is the essential ingredients, something without which it would not exist. Uh, the triggers are not enough. And so I think it's really important uh, to look at this because, uh, I mean, I'm coming to think even, even the word cause may not be a very good translation. Um, because for this to be effective in our practice, it's not just what triggered it, but what something, if removed, it would not be there. Isn't fuel? Use fuel or- yeah, f- yeah, fuel would be more generic terms, so dry grass, fuel. Condition,
3: conditions that it caused? The condition that's present is that the
0: grass is dry. No, the condition of the grass is the fact that it's dry. Yeah. So, so if you want to, if you want to, cease the fire, if you want to get rid of the fire, either remove the fuel or you remove the dryness. So, if, if you wet it down, it would stop. I think in other places he uses nutrition. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Nutriment. nutriment. Yeah. Use. Use.
3: Use.
0: Gestalt. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't quite get that. So it doesn't. Work. Oh, all, all, all the elements together. Yeah. yeah, so I think what he was looking for, so you could say all the elements together contributed to it, but what are one or two key ones that if it's pulled out, the whole thing collapses? I mean, if we want to relieve our suffering, that's the only thing that makes any difference, right? And so that's what he's looking for. So what I'd like to do is go back through this, and maybe um, we'll circle uh, triggers... With red and uh, essential ingredients, you know root causes, things without which it would never have happened, okay and and again, these are going to be opinions and ideas, etc. We don't know if they're exactly right, but this is an exercise to see if we can actually sort out the difference and it will be imperfectly implemented um, by all of us. By everyone except for me, we can all say that, right? Well,
5: if he wasn't alive, then. Uh, <laughs> <you weren't
0: born. laughs> so, um, yeah. So, killing Trump, um, or if he hadn't no, been born, never being born. That ne- never being born. Okay. What if his parents had been nice to him? What if his Right. Okay. So, so, so eventually we're going to put these in the causal chains. So the first thing we want to do. Electoral um, college.
6: I forgot. Yeah.
0: She didn't forget. She just didn't hear it. <laughs> If it wasn't a problem, it wouldn't be a problem. Okay.
2: So we vote? You want to circle vote? There is election.
0: Um, okay. And, we'll, 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 and so we're going to...
2: So, what, trade, so
6: red is why is she doing this? What is the
0: red? So, so the, the red is a, is a trigger and the blue is an underlying cause. So and
6: would you say that the
1: red is opinion and the blue is fact? Could you say that?
0: No. You're well, not going there. No, I'm not going there. Uh, and because uh, we may have disagreements on here, we, you know, so, so for example, that uh, I would I would say um, that without the effects of globalization, um, for me looks like one of the sort of deep root ingredients without which there would not have been the dissatisfaction, um, and, it, and it's not the globalization itself, but how it's been handled. So we get the income disparity and stuff that creates a lot of the other conditions we talked about. i um,
2: want to make that in green agree.
0: Uh, well, economic disparity is 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 one that I would circle in. Uh, what do we use in green? Yeah. Okay. Uh, and and believe me, you don't have to agree with this. All I just want to do is see if we can kind of get the reasoning by how different people may arrive at these. Uh, green means uh, an uh, an essential ingredient. For his
2: election? Pardon?
0: For his election? Yeah. Essential or elected? Yes, for him being elected. What is red and green again? Red is a trigger, is a match. Uh, green is the grass. Maybe it ought to be yellow-green, but...
1: more than anyone and as it dwindled down he continued to have his larger amount and I I do
0: think it's a big variable had there been five people it would have been very different from my perspective okay so what's the top one 17 17 people in the primary Um, so uh, so 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 Miriam puts it in green I would put it in red okay so we will we'll put both uh, so red is that it was it was a, a trigger but not necessarily necessary ingredient i mean essential essential ingredient yeah Pardon. Yeah, it's a green... It's a, it's a green one.
2: <laughs> it's an obvious green
1: one. A to go back to
2: that. I just just
0: Well, I we'll just start the, all over and, and we'll do it without the rhetoric. No.
1: As a parallel, <laughs> um, had had um, Hitler been accepted to art school, things might have been very different. Sure. That's, that, that's one of these. Um, so, so there was a moment in time when... Um, when he was so ridiculed by President Obama at one of the news um, gatherings, that a number of people, and I'm one of them, who feels that he decided he was gonna show him up, I'm gonna run for president. Had that not happened, unfortunately, had our dear President Obama had not said, showed what a buffoon this guy was, then, I'm sorry if somebody doesn't feel that way, um, he might not have run. So we're going getting to the core. What
0: triggered his wish to be president? Okay, it's a, that that so so that's that's helpful. So that's a key trigger. So we put that in red. It, it was, it was major. Yeah, it was a major trigger. So
6: he only it, run he
0: no. five. okay, uh, so 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 just to be clear, what I, what I don't want to do is 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 uh, debate the merits of the of the various arguments. We're just actually trying to sort out. Um, so Miriam makes a strong case for
6: Obama's, opinion.
0: Obama's opinions being a trigger. Yep. Yeah, so that goes into red.
5: I'm not confused about a like, basic classification. Um, so when we suffer, there are episodes, it seems like, like. And it seems like sometimes an episode comes to an end. Like, yeah, I had a itchy bug bite today and it doesn't itch anymore. I don't think it's going to itch again. When a new bug bites me, I'll have another itch bug bite. Okay. So, um, the bug biting me is like the match; I think it is the trigger. Okay. But it's not. It's not something that's the, the biting is not something that's ongoing, and you could even talk about removing it or not. I mean, you know, like so, so, so
0: actually, actually, what I want to do is I want to see if we can stick with this. I
5: can't do this unless I understand this. There's a time component, right? It's like a fire burning and using up fuel. Yes. And the fuel's there throughout. But the thing that triggered it, like, is not there throughout. It's just there. possibly just there at the beginning. Right. So, right. like, almost all of these things on the list seem to, like, not be there. For, like, the vote... Um, so, the election, so, so, the so,
0: what I would like you to do is, we would like to get your opinions about triggers and, and causes.
5: So, like the election—why is it green? Because if there is one election at one time; it's not an ongoing liquid democracy that like continues to elect or un Trump.
0: It's, it's it's in green because some people felt that it's an essential ingredient. You don't have to agree with that. Because we're one election. Yeah, we're 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 not going to. Come up with a definitive analysis about what happened.
5: It's, it's not about what happened; it's about the structure of like there being an ongoing thing, and there clearly isn't an ongoing election. There was one election for Trump.
2: So it that's the difference between uh, dependent organization in this example. This example covers only one event. Entering into it's not Donald Trump is getting elected every second. It's just that he got elected once.
0: I want you to humor me. <laughs> I
5: want I to like get something out of doing this, and I'm not understanding something that
0: seems crucial. Okay, so what what I would invite you to do is actually sit with your questions for a few minutes, um, and your question. Give me your question. Okay. So this is a question we're going to come back to. So, 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 so the, these are issues um, that I think we're going to work out as we go along. And if we stop the whole process, we may be here all night. But so I wanted to make sure that we've got it here, so we'll be sure to address it. Okay. Can I add a clarification? Sure. Um, no. No. What, what what we're doing is looking at a causal chain.
1: So, are we? Are you? We, are, we are, are, you have to go all the way up the chain, or just how many parts
0: are we use? There are zillions of causal chains. Okay. The ones you have there are two models of causal changes. Causal chains. So we're looking at a different causal chain. This is what we're looking at is not dependent origination. Okay? Because we ended up with Donald Trump being president. For some people, that's something to celebrate, for other people, it's a source of dukkha. So I uh, we don't have to take us apart completely, but just want a few more ideas about triggers versus uh, essential ingredients. I think the
4: disenchantment
0: is one of the the disenchantment being a, 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 a essential ingredient, yeah, a routine. Okay. Oh, disenfranchised, yeah, so circle that one for me. Um, I guess we didn't nope that, that that that's that that's a green one
3: All right, here you go.
0: so we'll just take the clock and wind it back about you know, and just just pretend to go through it again just put 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 dis e, and then uh, so, so let me just ask you this. Do you kind of have, have the idea what we're after? Um,
6: not from this
5: example. I'll say that. Okay. You
6: know,
1: intellectually, rationally, but from this example,
0: I'm not wrong. Okay. That's a red, doesn't it, Chapman? That's a green.
5: I don't even like election occurred at a point in time, right? So how can you compare it to an ongoing time period of
0: Question we're going to return to.
5: Like That's why I don't understand what we're doing. I don't understand this as an example. Okay. It's like, what if it were like, how has Donald Trump continued to be president like into the future? That would like make a little more sense.
0: Sit with it. Okay.
6: <laughs>
0: okay so um, l- let's this one drift to the side a little bit and um, next time I do this maybe I'll use a different example but part of, part of uh, what this illustrates at least is that when you look at something highly charged it can go all over the place it wasn't what I was planning but it is certainly what we, what we managed to do So we'll go back to your example of the bites, or let let me give a simpler one. Um, Somebody comes in and insults me. Says, "Doug, you're doing a lousy dharma talk. What what are you? You know, what the heck are you doing this for?" Um, And uh, and I get all upset, you know, uh, and they stomp out, and I sit here grumbling about it. uh, they stomp out and I and I just sit here grumbling about it. So what's the tr- what are what are some of the triggers and what are some essential ingredients? So trigger is the insult. Trigger is the insult. Essential ingredient is your ego. Ego? Yep. Bad jokes for me. A
5: Donald Trump sign <laughs> up.
0: Yeah. So without, without my ego or without my irritability, etc., somebody says, "Doug, you're doing a lousy Dharma talk," and I'm saying, "Well, okay, okay." Uh, somebody says, "Doug, you're a jerk," and I think, "Yeah, you're probably right. Sometimes I am." Uh, so what's important, you know? But if if I have some investment in it, then. Reactivity before ego. I don't know. That would, be, that would be my favorite. Okay, yeah. Reactivity, ego, all all that sort of
3: stuff. Taking it personal.
0: Taking it personally. But it also, past historical experience that is probably tied in yes. to
3: personality structure.
0: Right, right.
3: In some way, intensity is tied into it because somebody could say, you're doing a lousy dharma talk, and they could scream it at you, versus just say it like I just said it. It would have a totally different
0: response from you. Yeah. So there's an intensity, but it sort of gets to what we were talking about uh, last night too. Is actually the depth of my equanimity. So the the deeper, the larger the container, the more equanimity that I have uh, around it. Um, the more somebody can be charged about it and I just doesn't it just doesn't bother me that much.
3: Well,
5: and also how much you value that other person's opinion in
0: general. Okay, yes.
5: So the equanimity seems interesting because in dependent the, origination the it's like the dominoes right? they're all falling. Right. Like if somehow you gather more equanimity, like at first you you're feeling you're grumbling about it and then equanimity you get in contact with more equanimity. That's like you put up a break and you stop the dominoes.
0: Yes. Something. Yeah. Yeah. So like or, or what I uh, what I like to think of is expand them so the dominoes get further and further apart. So one falls over and it just doesn't hit anything else. Yeah, you,
5: you add something, but according to Do, like, well, the only way to, to analyze that chain is something needs to be removed or some causal link needs to be severed. Right. right. So equanimity is severing.
0: Yeah, but you, you you can analyze it that way. What's a severing? Yeah, you you could use a severing so that that somehow the causal chain is broken. It's severed. Uh um, the thing I talk about in Buddha's map is the flow of the river and if you you know divert the water out of the river then a, then the suffering stops. So who, who that probably? Is not arising anymore
5: because not That
0: that what is not Oh, Upadana? Yeah. Um, and so what we were talking about last night is is if at the level of Upadana, if, uh, if the little bit of very small amount of tension that's in that is relaxed, then it doesn't trigger Kanha, Chanda, and, and go on up further.
5: The, the, the intensity with, with somebody who's communicated their dissatisfaction and also the, the balance that you bring in, in yourself. Right. Maybe you don't have a lot of balance, but the, the, the emotional attachment is not very big or the intensity that it's very, you can step over it very quickly versus if you have stronger intensity then you're able to handle more and more of this negative energy towards you, right? Right. Yes. So I was wondering, like, since everything happens in like, what distinguishes this, like, charge, so to speak? This, like, huge amount of negative energy that comes your way versus, like, something that doesn't have a lot of charge, so to speak. Like, I, I
0: so what, what distinguishes between...
5: Um, yeah, maybe I should think
4: about it. it's like, like the charge, is yeah. charge and. Eight. That's, that's the salt in the container. Like, if if there's a lot of charge and a lot of equanimity, then it kind of
5: dissolves. If no, there's so a lot of charge and a lot of much equanimity. Yeah, no, that, that I, 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 I... I see that. I see that. What I try to understand is, like, how, how, how that works over time. Because when a feeling arises, does the feeling have a certain amount of intensity? Mm-hmm. That, you, that comes up for you? That's
0: what we were talking about last night, I think. Yeah, there, there's, a, there's a certain amount of tension in each of the links of dependent origination. And, and it's, it's the tension that carries it forward. And so, if the tension is relaxed, then the domino doesn't fall over, then, then the flow of the river stops, whatever metaphor, uh, and, and it breaks that, and you're fine. And that's what we're looking for, is how to break the chain of events. And I'm thinking maybe I'm just going to move forward with this and we'll go pick up the next part of it. So, are, are you, are you, do you have a kind of a fuzzy relationship to all this anyway? Um, so, the most important part about all this is that um, what the Buddha meant by causation is uh, not quite what the word cause is in English. Uh, and to just go back, it's the difference between the match and the, um, and the dry grass. Okay. And then you calls the links up to what lit the match. He calls the links to what, uh, what dried out the grass in the first place. And he's always interested in the essential elements, which, if removed... The whole thing shuts down.
4: I think sometimes, it, like, like from my experience, one of the phrases that is used in the sutras is also the dependent co-arising. But right? it's not first A then B, but kind of it seems to arise dependent on each other. But simultaneously, there's a co-arising of phenomena as well. Multiple stages. So it's, it's not just a linear, simple. Experience, right? A lot of things happen.
0: There, there are loops. Right. There are loops. I think it mm-hmm. was backwaters.
4: So, right, and so like I completely agree when you say, you know, it's it's not A and B and C. It's, yeah. it's like anything, it's, it's stuff happens on multiple
0: levels at the same time. What, what, I have, what I had hoped we would get to here, but I think it's going to be too complicated, was to start to put. The, Point to some of the causal relationships between these, um, <laughs> but we got caught up in separating all this all stuff to the point that I don't think it's actually going to be worth it to try to do that. But if you got to get it, uh, if you can get it conceptually, um, but this is exactly the sort of complexity we run into and why dependent origination can be so difficult uh, because it's laid out oftentimes as a. One, two, three, and as soon as you get into any real examples, there's not just a single line, but there are backwaters, there are things that arise together, things that influence each other, uh, etc. But the core element, what the Buddha was talking about in terms of what is, um, means to be wise and dependent origination, is. Um, Ananda, where did you go? Um, When this exists, that comes to be. When this arises, that arises. When this does not exist, that does not exist. When this ceases, that ceases. What he was talking about, about links, have all those four elements. Okay. What did I unleash here? Oh, my goodness. So... um, And basically what I'm saying is that we have to reverse engineer our own experience uh, because it's a little different for each of us how it works. But um, we're all human and there are some general patterns in dependent origination um, that seem to apply to all of us and we understand some of those general patterns uh, that can help us kind of see our own particular manifestation of it. So one of the uh, models is uh, called the Twelve Lengths of Dependent Origination. It's uh, probably one of the most familiar ones. It is on your sheet uh, on the uh, on the right-hand side, uh, taken from the Majjhima Nikaya number one fifteen. Uh, and th- those are that's one of the the, the classical models. Uh, I'm not going to walk through all of that. Um, but for those who are familiar with it, I just wanted you to have it for a frame of reference. Um, this, this model, uh, the 12 lengths of dependent origination, was uh, actually recorded about two or 300 years after the Buddha died. And prior to that time, it was transmitted orally from monk to monk, from generation to generation. And as it was being uh, transmitted, as it was being passed along, it got codified you know, to make it easier to memorize and, and to kind of simplify it. And, but a lot of the codification uh, can make it really difficult to actually see what it actually means. So what I would like to share with you is, uh, is an earlier model of uh, dependent origination. It comes from a collection of suttas called the uh, Ataka uh, which scholars believe is probably the oldest collection of suttas, um, many of them of which uh, were probably recorded during the Buddha's life, uh, including the one way uh, that I want to read to you, uh, probably early on in his ministry. There's some qualities to it. Uh, In these very early uh, suttas, there's no Lord Buddha, there's no Blessed One, there's no Tathagata. There's just uh, a wanderer. They call him a wanderer, sometimes a Surgotama. Uh, There's no Sangha. There are are no groups of monks around him. It it took a number of years for those to gather, so this seems to be uh, um, prior to that. But he's clearly uh, uh, charismatic, and deeply respected as he's, uh, and you can see in this, what's really lovely to, to go through is you can see it, you almost feel it, him struggling to find language to describe what, what he's experienced, which, which there really isn't quite the language for. So in these early suttas, there is no 12 links, there are, there's no uh, eightfold path, there's no four noble truths, there's no seven awakening factors, there's no, there's no three characteristics, there's no <clears throat> numbered anything. Mostly, it's just informal dialogue. Um, the 11th verse of the Adhikavaga, um, the Adhikavaga, for those who are interested in looking this up, you can find it. It's in, the, it's in a larger collection of suttas called the Sutta Napata. It's the fourth book of the Sutta uh, And it uh, contains, what is it, 14 verses, I think, um, maybe it was 16, but it's a, a small collection of relatively short suttas. And um, and uh, verse number 11 is, is, pro- is the earliest recording we have of the Buddha speaking about dependent origination. And the word padakasamapada uh, is not used there at all. So you will find uh, this. I gave you the whole sutta It's on the back of this this page. So, uh, what I, uh, so I would like to read it to you because, um, you know, there's problems with all the text. There's corruptions in, in, in all of the text. But this is like as close as we can get uh, to the source material. And I, I don't know, it touches me somehow. Where do, dis- where do disputes and quarrels come from? And sorrow, grief, and selfishness and the pride, arrogance, insults, and lies that come with them. Why do they happen? Please tell me. So you'll notice right there that uh, dukkha's suffering is described as quarrels and disputes rather than aging, deaths, lamentation, pain, grief, and despair, the, the more f- uh, formulaic version that came later. Uh, but the idea is very much the same. It's just that the imagery is more grounded in everyday life. So the Buddha answers, disputes and quarrels come from what we hold dear. Disputes and and quarrels come from what we hold dear. Uh, Sorrow, grief, and selfishness, pride, arrogance, and slander come with them. When we argue, we speak spitefully. Selfishness is yoked to quarrels and disputes. So he's saying here that the suffering uh, comes from... Uh, what we hold dear, where there's pia, rather than the uh, rather than upadana, the clinging that shows up in the later suttas. Okay, so you can see it's it's the same idea, you know. Uh, so, uh, except it's a little less moralistic. Right. So uh, we hold our children dear. And they are potentially a source of greatest suffering for us, right? Absolutely. Yeah, but we would not blame somebody for holding their children dear. So, so clinging upadana has a sort of slightly moralistic tone. Well, you're clinging, you know, you're bad or something, but you hold your children dear, you know. It's, you know. So, so the Buddha is not passing any judgment on all this stuff. He's, he's, just, he's just trying to describe how it is. This is how it works. Without getting caught up in right or wrong or good or bad. Um, So the questioner asks, uh, where does endearing come from? Why do we feel longing and greed and go with it? What creates hopes and aspirations? And the Buddha responds, endearing comes from desire. And I'll just note here the word here is chanda, it's not tanha. Endearing comes from desire. We want things. Greed is part of the worldly life. It causes hopes and aspirations for the future.
1: Excuse me. Uh, I'm confused about the use of the word Chanda because I thought that Chanda was supposed to
0: express wholesome qualities. Okay. Great question. Here's the issue. There are three to 500 years between the recording of the Adagabaga, at least 200 until the Majin Nagaya was written down and they were tinkering it for another couple hundred years. So just imagine reading a um, 16th century English description of interstates. You know, just the English language has really changed a lot so as we look at this, it it could be that he's purposely talking about wholesome states. It could be that the meaning of the word chanda has ac- actually evolved over time. There could be all kinds of p- of possible variations in there, and um, and frankly, we just can't we just can't know for sure. We just can't know for sure. Uh, but part of what I like about it is it does loosen it up a little bit because it takes it again, it takes it away from. Um, from um, morality, you know, and the truth of the matter is that even wholesome desires have to go Do you have your thing on eventually. You? Do have that on? No, I was whispering to her. Um, <laughs> Oh, so m- maybe we can turn off uh, uh, the air condition. So the fans is going. There's, there's there's ambient rambling. This was a private conversation, oh, so. <laughs> Chanda. It's very personal. You know, it's it's sweet. Thank you for that, though. Yes, we, we ought to bring that down. Um, and frankly, to me, the the distinction between well, this is just my stuff. The distinction between Chana and Tanha uh, feels to me to be a, like a later addition. It's a later, later distinction. Um, and particularly as the Brahmin influence came in, it, you know, it, it tries to push it into the moral framework. But that's... So, um, uh, where does desire Chanda come from? What about preferences, anger, lies, doubt, and all states the wanderer talks about? So the wandering Buddha responds Desire, again, Chanda, comes from what we call pleasing and displeasing. Likewise, when people see how things come and go, they form preferences accordingly. Anger, lies, doubt, and confusion follow. We're bound by the duality of pleasing and unpleasing. <coughs> If you doubt this, train yourself to know it. You'll understand when you've seen what the states are like. I just love that. He says, you know, if this doesn't make sense to you, uh, train yourself to look inside and see it for yourself. It's like, don't take my word for it. Just look inside and, and check it out yourself. Um, and the words here, uh, pleasing and unpleasing, uh, become feeling-tone vedna in the later text. Again, it's the same idea, but it's a it's a diff- it's a slightly different language. Where does the feeling of ple- of pleasing and unpleasing come from? What are these? Uh, when are these states absent? What makes them come and go? Please tell me. Uh, the Buddha responds: Pleasing and unpleasing come from sense impressions. Pasa. Without sense impressions, they don't occur. The same happens with coming and going. They come from sense impressions. Uh, so sense impressions, uh, pasa, is often translated as contact. It means raw sensation, as we talked about at other times. So it arises at a raw sensation. Where in this world do sense impressions come from? Why do we grasp things? What must be absent for selfishness to fade? What needs to be gone? for sense impressions to disappear. The Buddha responds, mind-body depends on sense impressions. Grasping things comes from calling them mind. When there is no desire, there is no sense of self. When mind-body is gone, there are no sense impressions. In other words, if you want to get rid of sense impressions and the selfishness and desire that come with it, just get rid of the mind-body. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Oops! <laughs> um, I actually I, I think a nicer way uh, I think what he's trying to convey there uh, is, is he's saying this tendency towards grasping in a sense of self they just arise out of the mind body itself we don't do it, it's, it just comes out of it um, there is no self that creates these They just sort of mechanical come out of our biology. Um, What do we have to do for the mind-body to disappear sense impressions for happiness and unhappiness to cease? Please uh, please tell us, or tell us please. We really want to know. The Buddha. Neither perceiving, misperceiving, nor non-perceiving in this state... Mind-body vanishes from awareness. Okay? Conceptualizing is where the problem starts. Conceptualizing is also uh, the cause of obsessive thinking. So perception, as we know, involves conceptualizing, putting a label on something. Uh, so as the mind-body gets deeply relaxed... Uh, this conceptualizing and this categorizing ceases. So uh, just remember, in dependent origination, the dominoes get smaller and smaller as we go up the causal lengths. And so we're up into very, very uh, small dominoes at this point, very, very uh, faint impressions. But as you go up through the jhanas, you'll experience this. Uh, you'll, You'll know it directly if you haven't already. Question: uh, Whatever we have asked, you've re- uh, revealed to us. Another question, please. Do all the wise men say this is the highest purity, or is there something higher? In other words, is neither perception nor non-perception is that the highest we can go? And the Buddha answers: Some wise men say this is the highest, and some speak of a state where nothing remains. A genuine sage knows how everything is conditioned. A genuine sage knows how everything is conditioned. Understanding conditioning, uh, he is free and content. Knowing better, he does not dispute. The wise do not keep becoming. Not becoming here means enlightened. So notice it's not, he's, he's not saying get in, getting rid of conditioning. He says understanding conditioning, seeing it clearly for what it is. Uh, Anything. They, 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 they don't dispute their opinions. So. He's that if someone knows something better. No what what. Uh, what it means is if uh, if you are really confident and settled and have, and uh, and experienced directly. Um, some sense that you have, and somebody says, well, I don't believe that, and say, okay. No. So the implication of this is that um, there is nothing but a, a stream of conditioned phenomena. Right? There is no self that is entangled in this. There is no self-essence that is entangled in this stream of phenomena. That it just arises reflexively, if you will, the sense of self arises reflexively out of this mind-body system, but there's nothing that does it. And if there is no self, if we're not identified with the self, then there's no self to to, uh, to suffer, and there is no suffering without the identification. And, uh, and please, if you can hear this, this is not a theological claim. It's not a philosophical statement. It's not a, a, a metaphysical manifesto. It's just an experience. And hence, there is nothing to dispute. You know, this is what I experience. And you say, well, no, you don't experience. Well, no, it's just what I experience. You have something else. Okay. That's right, yeah. So, and in a lot of the text it talks about, you know, particularly with stream entry, uh, that, that you see really clearly how things operate. And one of the phrases that's used is, they become independent in the Dhamma. In other words, it's through the direct experience. They, you know, people know, doesn't mean they're fully enlightened, but they know what they have to do. And somebody can argue with them about it, but they know it so deeply, you know, there's, there's nothing to dispute. Other this is, um, let, 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 let me read what Lee Brasington says about this. Um, uh, if you're really interested in looking at this, uh, look it up on his website. He has this wonderful thing where he's taken this whole sutta and, uh, and has a table and is listed verse by verse about eight or nine different translations of it, so you can actually see it. It's, uh, you know, If you feel geeky about this stuff, it's, uh, it doesn't get any better than that. Uh, so Lee Brasington, uh, who, is, who is a scholar of this stuff with a uh, with a very rich and very mature practice, and he says, these verses, rather than feeling like a record of an actual conversation, I have the feeling of being uh, intentionally composed. Okay. The questions are just too perfect, each set of uh, questions having a single answer. But this does not detract at all from the significance of the sutta. It is clearly well thought out discourse describing a series of necessary conditions. Oh, he uses that phrase. Necessary conditions. This is uh, dependent origination in its earliest form. It would seem that any explanation of dependent origination ought to harmonize with this early description if the later description is going to be accurate. This is as close as we can get to the gold standard for understanding the Buddha's original thinking about dependent origination. It's his original thinking. It's not it may have evolved some over the series of his ministry. This is a, this, this is where it all begins. And And given what the Buddha says... Um, understanding as early thinking on undepen- dependent origination is a requirement for awakening. So, do you want to unpack this one a little bit? I just have a question about yeah. um, it, it seems
3: that this thinking just demands living in the present moment, and which makes sense to me. But when I look at, you know, Buddhism and the history of Buddhism. There's so much talk about uh, rebirth and um, past lives. It's, it, it's, they seem like opposing forces. Like there's a lot of discussion about the past and the past causing the future. But this, the, this essence seems to be very much about the present moment, and all of that really doesn't matter at all.
0: I think that's accurate. Um, what, when the when the Buddha actually talks about uh, karma, etc., um, he says very clearly that the understanding of karma, he says, don't use it for trying to figure out what happened in the past. It, just, it doesn't help. Um, but it's more seen that, like, for example, if you get angry at people, it'll probably blow back at you. So if you see that, you'll probably want to work on your anger, but to try to figure out all the causes and conditions. I mean, we kind of experience this here. To try to figure out all the causes and conditions that lead to a single event, uh, it's actually so complex it'll drive you nuts. He calls it, it's vexing. So uh, understanding uh, the causal events of a single action uh, is what of those things that's called imponderable. And I think we just had a demonstration of that. Mm-hmm. It's yes, limited value. This is a half-year course,
1: I think. I mean, to, uh, I, it, just to do one paragraph to really penetrate it seems like it would really, really. I
6: mean, it's, I, I'm thrilled. It's, yeah. I love it, but I, I, I
0: don't really fully get it. Okay, so um, I want to be mindful of the time. There's a, there's a couple different things we could do. One is actually go back and just unpack these a little bit. You know, it is dense. Um, and another thing that we can do is I could talk you through quickly how all this stuff appears in your actual practice, because this um, this practice that we're doing, I mean, the Buddha said, you know, this is the most important thing, and he designed a practice that act, that reveals dependent origination. Um, looks like you want to do that one first. Do you want to unpack some of these, or is there?
3: practice,
0: and then those who want to stay to unpack
3: the nitty-gritty, can you stay to unpack the nitty-gritty? Sure.
0: Because mm-hmm. I, want, I want to unpack the nitty-gritty. <laughs> <laughs> well, and we can also get back and, and talk about uh, some of the implications uh, without actually uh, unpacking some of the details. So, you're sitting there meditating. And it's very peaceful. So, this is your object of meditation. This is your awareness. Your awareness is just resting solidly on your object. Ah, sweet. And you're sitting there, and then you think, oh, God, I really blew it. There was, why did I, I well, oh, I was meditating. Right. So, you're sitting there, it's peaceful, quiet. Suddenly, there's a whole stream of thoughts. Right? So, what do you do? Recognize. Release, relax, smile, return to the object of meditation. But I did blow it. it uh, We were doing so well, and I don't know. Oh, oh, okay. Recognize, release, relax, smile. Oh, I blew it. (laughs) Yeah. And this this time, you actually catch it like with the first words. Like, you know, you've gone through enough that it becomes familiar. So this phrase, oh, I blew it. And you catch it right then. And you recognize, release, relax. you smile, come back. I blew it. Recognize. And and so you notice, it starts starts to become real clear to you. There's a huge charge, you know, around uh, this phrase, I blew it. Recognize, release, Relax. I, bl- oh, I recognize, release, relax, smile, return. And then what you feel is the charge. You can feel the mind starts to tighten. <laughs> and actually before... You, so you recognize that even before the words come to mind. So you know, so sit and it's very peaceful, and you just notice this charge comes in. And so you recognize, release, relax, we smile before the word even emerges in your mind. You see that? And you feel a little bit of the charge. Recognize, release, relax, smile. Ah. And then what happens is, is the mind, it just starts, even before the charge comes up, there's like a little wobble. And so you see, see that wobble, and before it, it develops in a full charge, recognize, Release, relax, you smile. And all the time this is going on, what starts to happen is that the space between the times you got pulled away gets longer and longer. And the speed and the ease in which you recover you know, gets shorter and shorter and shorter until you're just sitting there and it's perfectly quiet. And there's just a, a little bit like a vibration. And, and you just, and you see it right there. You recognize, release. Well, at this point, they're all rolled together. Recognize, release, relax, you smile. And then you slide into Nibbana. yeah just
6: like,
0: that. just like that, so do you see the links in there? So you know I blew it you know about this, all that stuff, those are the habitual tendencies, those are all the stories, and on and on and on and on um, and they're uh, they're triggered you know the first conceptual thing right there is uh, you know I blew it There's there's a word that sort of identifies it, which triggers all those. you catch that and relax it, and all the stories don't come out, you no. Know? And underneath that, there's a, there's a charge, there's a tension, there's a tightness, there's the tanha or chanda, whichever language you want to use. And if you notice the charge, um, you know, before, um, just right at that point, recognize and release. The rest don't come up. So you've seen that one. And I, I guess I left one out because uh, there is, and sometimes you'll pass through a lot of these, but... You know, it can be very peaceful, and it just kind of feels slightly unpleasant. Uh, there's just a, and it's not about anything in particular because this is pre-verbal. But you'll be sitting there, and and there's just this sort of vague feeling of of uncomfortableness. And then, rather than let it flower out into this whole big forest of stuff, you just six out at that part. You know, recognize, release, relax. you know. And you're just cutting into it. And you'll notice in this, again, so what, does, what do all of those things in my experience have to do with you know, this more or less formal description of what's there? And there there's really is really very clearly you know, a relationship to it. But when you experience it directly, it's not at all what it looks like when you're just thinking about it before you've experienced it. It's a good question. Uh, I I I think, um, I think it a lot. It depends on temperament, and um, how you learn. and how you learn. And and if you're a person who gets, you know, intellectually tied into, you know, trying to figure out philosophically, you know, how all this stuff, you know, fits together and, uh, you know, in tight language, et cetera, et cetera, it probably gets in the way. Um, if you can just take it as a general sense of something, um, then what happens is you may hear it uh, and not hold on to it too tightly, and then uh, and then you'll notice there are things that are changing in your practice. So this is part of what happened to me. You know, I could I could see things were starting to change in my practice, and then I thought. Oh, my God, the Buddha talked about this 2,600 years ago, you know, that maybe I really am on his path. And that, you know, that for me was kind of an inspiration and encouragement. How did the guy know about this stuff? Um, So um it's a great question and it's uh and I think it it really is a matter of temperament. So the the question about uh you know how much emphasis to put on the jhanas. Uh and for some people, uh recognizing where you are on the path can be an inspiration. The uh the flip side of it is it can bring up comparing mind. You know, you can get into evaluating and, and uh Nobody here has an inner critic, but for those who have inner critics, <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, it can trigger that. Uh, and so um, traditionally, you know, how this is handled is, is very little of it is actually explained. Um, the reason I wrote Buddha's Map, though, was I was going into jhanas, um, and I uh, was trying to figure out what it was, and... Um, and nobody would talk about it. And then, uh, and then when I finally actually figured out what it was, I realized if I had known some of this stuff 10 or 15 years earlier, it would have helped me reorient in my practice. And I, you know, I may have cut, you know, cut I know, who knows? Taking up 15 years of it could have moved along. Um, but one of the reasons I like the Thai Forest style is that it does have the individual interviews, so there's there's a much greater chance to actually see how the person is relating to this and help sort it out in a way that's useful, um, because all of us are going to respond to it differently.
5: I noticed as you've talked about nibbana mean, here, it's always been it's from the genres of Naruddha, um, but isn't it true that some people just experience it
0: out in the world? Sure. Yeah. So, so, sorry, Puta uh, had stream entry listening to the Buddha give a Dhamma talk. He wasn't meditating. Just, yeah. you know. it,
5: it's, if I remember right, Bhante was saying often someone has Naroda, or I guess I he, he, he doesn't use he that. He doesn't use
0: the word Naroda. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I invented the phrase "winking out" just to cover a whole range of phenomena that didn't sound like poly, So it was a way of, of a reference. But, yeah. Um, what? Where? Where I am with this stuff? I'm. I'm. My whole interest in this stuff, I can see, is shifting, and. Um, Because I I think the jhanas and that map and stuff is very helpful, but if it's overemphasized, uh, and I think how people experience them varies a tremendous amount. And I've uh, also seen many, many people who have gotten stream entry and have, you know, uh, gone up that stuff and have it all fall apart. Uh, And so I think there can be genuine. Experiences of very deep states that don't stabilize. And I think that's a, we're a little more prone that way in the West because we have these kind of curious, inquisitive minds that can go way out without stabilizing. It's like, wow, what was that? Well, I wonder what's on TV tonight. You know. And uh, other cultures that are more devotional. Um, I think I put this in Buddha's map. Uh, it was um, Sokni Rinpoche, uh, was asked the difference between his uh, Eastern and his Western students. He's a Tibetan Rinpoche. He's done a lot of teaching in the United States. And he says that his Westerners get it more quickly. And he says, but they don't stabilize. And his Tibetan students, they move very slowly. But once they get someplace, they don't slide back. And uh, so just watch your comparing minds. <laughs> so the first thing that comes up is, is is which is better and which is worse. Right? You just see that? It doesn't make any difference, you know? Our path is what some of us, I mean, I just, I had to make peace with the fact, so I talk about four different kinds of paths. There is the long and slow path. There's the long and fast path. No, No, I'm sorry, it's the long and difficult path. There's the long and easy path. There's the short and difficult path and then there's the one we all want with the short and easy path. You know? We don't get to choose. We really don't get to choose. You know, it's, it's, it's actually something that's, that's more about our nature. And I just happen to be one of those who does the long and difficult path. And, uh, and I bemoan that for a while and then I realized you know, the only thing that makes any difference is whether you're pointed in the right direction. And moving, and so I find even you know in, even in teaching these retreats. I mean, I still do talk about the jhanas and that that sort of stuff. But what I'm really most interested in is people's own deepest experience, you know, where they are, what that unfolding is, and uh, and and wanting to hold these maps uh, really loosely. Um, and I would just throw one other thing in here, which I don't want to get into tonight, but just to, just to name it, is that the stages of consciousness, the complexities of consciousness, the, uh, by consciousness what I hear is how we interpret information and assign meaning to it. I think I talked about this a little bit the other night. Five-year-old, a 15-year-old, and a 50-year-old walk down the street see the same sights, same sounds, they're in a completely different world because how they process that information is different. How the average person in the 21st century, in developed countries particularly, uh, process information, is the average person is vastly more complex than in the Buddhist time. And that's just been... It's not a value judgment. I think there's just been enough analysis and research to say that it's true. So there are some paths and methodologies that are available to us that weren't there at, during the Buddhist time. And, uh, and I think there, the, the, the main one that I think about is this whole bit of, of expansion, you know, and allowing yourself to expand, that most of us are a lot closer to uh, kind of consciousness. called transcendent, where it's and we get glimpses of it. In the Buddha's time there wasn't that much of it. So you see, when he was talking about anatta, you get these suttas where he's just sort of pounded it into people, <laughs> you know. Sensation is not the self, you know, um, Vedana is not the self, Tana is not the self, you know. Just go on and on down through all these causal sequences. Uh, and it worked. I mean he was amazingly successful at it, but I think there are multiple, you know, routes for us. So um, I'm just really interested in how this stuff, uh, you know, unfolds for us. I'm just really interested in how this unfolds. When I get feeling really intimate, yes, thank you for reminding me. My voice just, you know, I might as well be talking into a pillow. <laughs> so, um, let me, yeah, so let me just... Um, I want to just name a couple more implications of all this and then uh, if there are those who who, who want to unpack this a little bit further.
6: Before you go on, I
3: have wondered, um, well, in what you could
0: Yeah. Um, so do I to yeah, yeah, then you, you get a dunce cap. Uh, <laughs> 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 yeah, we'll put a point on it. So d- did you understand what I was talking about in this?
6: No.
0: That's what he means by knowing dependent origination. It's not an intellectual formulation. It's actually seeing um, how, how this stuff arises. And th- this is what I was trying to get across, you know, in the beginning, that how this appears, how our own suffering appears <coughs> to each of us, is going to be a little bit different. And if we get too hooked into an academic map, it's not going to work. You really, have to, as as, as you are wisely um, doing, is is looking at your own experience, and and I, and I will just. I was thinking about this as I was going down to the, the interviews this afternoon. What's most important, what's most helpful in all of this for dependent origination, for all the rest of this, is uh, as a kind of uh, relaxed, um, maybe enthusiastic, maybe not, but a, a relaxed, deep interest in seeing how this machine, this this body mind energetic machine works, and if you're more interested in that than getting someplace, that's what you need. That's all that's really needed. Um, and so if you're striving to get someplace, it all, just, it all begins to get in the way. And so to the extent that dependent origination can give you some clues about where to look for a little bit and, and to recognize what's, what's going on and appreciate the value of it, it's helpful. To the extent that it uh, makes you think, uh, "Oh, this is not for me. This is weird," etc., etc., you know, it's not helpful, and you're better off just forgetting about it. As
5: yeah, a personal side I've always been very interested in somebody who just does the six art
0: and nothing else, no reading. To exactly. yeah. end up in this, yeah. For the same place, so. Yeah, so it's, it's 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 the, the r- everything in a fashion. So yeah. I didn't hear all that. I just heard the word control comes through it, and uh, nobody here has any control issues. I
6: know. <laughs> time talks and
3: on independent imagination, the most boring
6: experience that I ever had in my life. I got nothing out of it. I would s-
3: sit with them year after year and thought, this is nothing to do with my experience at all. This version of it, for
0: me, is the most open and well to me and um, relevant. Yeah. Uh, and we'll edit that out of the tape. Um, the, the, the shift in tone from this to the later text... Is uh, is actually quite typical that uh, you know, particularly that I look at the uh, quarrels, disputes, etc. Quarrels and disputes, as as opposed to uh, jaramarana, aging, death, pain, grief, sorrow, despair. Uh, The quarrels and disputes just sound like you're talking about everyday stuff, and the aging, death. Lamentation, Pain, Grief, and Despair sounds like a setup for a graduate uh, philosophy seminar discussion. Uh, And some of it actually takes that on. Understanding that being passed through these patriarchal um, monk cultures. Uh, Another thing that I I will say uh, happened is that I will tell you all of it anyway. Just a, a, a quick little side. Um, I'm a Unitarian Universalist minister. There are certain minimal requirements and education, etc., etc., et cetera, and before you can be fully ordained and acknowledged, you go before this board and it's tested, et cetera, et cetera. And there's a reading list that you're supposed to have mastered. Now, when I went through, and I was ordained about 40 years ago, whenever it was, uh, there, was there was a list of about 12 books, the people who are on the board sort of rotate through, you know, every couple of years. There's new people come in. So somebody comes in and says, oh, they out of this, this book. Okay, so they added that one too. And this one. Nobody feels like they can take any books off. So I, f- I feel really sorry, you know, for the theological students come through. Uh, they, don't, uh, they don't count the number of books. They describe it in t- in terms of feet. You know, if you stack them on <laughs> <I mean>, them. <laughs> you know, And I think the same thing happened with this. Uh, You know, what the Buddha was looking at was really quite simple. And then you have, uh, you know, one of his top students was Sariputta, who had this incredible intellectual gift, this capacity to articulate this stuff in very, very refined terms. And so there were people like that come along and say, oh, well, to be like a Buddha, maybe you have to be like Sariputta, too. Uh, His cousin Mogadalana was... uh, um, you know, a master of what we call psychic stuff. I mean, his intuitive sense, it was really remarkable. And so, oh, well, he, you know, he's an arahat, so maybe everybody have that. And so as it went down, it looked like the requirements got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And so it sounded like impossible. But what the Buddha was talking about was actually really pretty simple uh, and more accessible, you know, than we think. You don't have to have that kind of intellect. You don't have to have all those powers. Uh, You just have to really see and get uh, that this system here is obeying natural laws um, and that any degree of personalization is just missing the point. It's actually about that simple, but it's to really, really, really get it. And so this practice is designed to actually peel that all back so you can see it. Um, just a couple quick things Um, I just want to check my notes part of it is this business of um, that the, the links get bigger and bigger so the further you go the subtler and subtler they are so what happens and a lot of you know this that as your practice goes deeper what you're looking at gets subtler and subtler and subtler And so the links that that you're looking for, the the essential ingredients, get actually quite subtle. So it's not the obvious ones, it's the subtle ones and the essential ones. So uh, one of my models of dependent origination are are the Russian dolls, (laughs) right? That uh, within habitual tendencies, we're talking about inside that is tanha. Inside tanha is vedna inside they're all in there because in the independent origination it sounds like you're looking for something that happened in the past but if your mind is racing on you say, say it started by all this tension and it, it, the tension is an essential ingredient it may have set it off but it's an essential ingredient and so it's still there in the moment it may be a lot subtler than the noise of all the thoughts but the tension, the tension is there in the moment you don't have to search for it in the past
3: We no longer
1: exist in a binary world, it's, it, it's both. I mean it can, it can be on and off, I mean that state varies and it seems to me like the Buddha got that way back when and we in our binary thinking keep trying to formulate rather than just accepting
0: yeah well, um, traditional literal consciousness, which was the, the highest consciousness that was generally available at his time, has a lot of black and white thinking that's very literal. Um, if you look at what the Buddha said about all this stuff, he was clearly not binary. He was clearly not, he was clearly not literal. He was at least rational, if not um, you know postmodern, probably in you know, way out there. enough. All that we need for freedom, all that you need for freedom, all all that I need for freedom, all that you need for freedom, is actually available right now in your experience at this very moment. It's the tension that distracts us and pulls us away from seeing. As the tension is relaxed, the awareness gets clearer and clearer and clearer. Until... You just see how it is, and it's simple. You know, people, you know, with stream entry and these other states, the most remarkable thing about it is, what's the big deal? It seems like a huge deal approaching it. Um, But if we can relax back into our experience... And, uh, and trust it not what we think about it So letting go all our stories about thinking about it but just seeing in an open way subtler and subtler dimensions And it just it just unfolds it just unfolds Oh, I guess I can tell you this. Um, I'll say it. Uh, I, I was one of—I um, wasn't the first, but I was one of the first of Bonte's Western students to get stream entry. And um, there was another guy at Damasuka; was a, it was an advanced student of his, and. Um, and so, the fact I got in stream entry got whispered around a little bit. <laughs> you know, they're not supposed to talk about it. That, that's monks aren't supposed to talk about. it. I'm not a monk. Um, and so this guy, you know, came to me and said, "So what did you do? You know, so what, what did you, you know, what what was the difference?" And I said, "You know, it really wasn't. It really wasn't anything. I just I sort of relaxed back into it." And and I think what and two days later he got stream entry. And I think what happened. Was, you know, he looked at me and said, "Well, if Doug got there, it can't be such a big deal." <laughs> you know, and he relaxed a little bit, and it opened. It was, it was just like that. You know, I'd like to take credit for him to getting there, but if if it was, it's just saying that you know, even in you know, even, even a recovering, uh, slightly obsessive compulsive, depressive. Uh, you know, can get there than anybody can. So, shall we practice? And uh, I will hang around a little bit if there are some that want to unpack some of the nuances of this. I would be glad to to do that with you. If um, uh, that doesn't feel relevant to where your practice is now, that's fine. Um, If it's some later date you become interested in this, send me an email, I'll send you my notes. But for now, just appreciating the incredible gift um, of the Sangha, of attainment doesn't make any difference, you know, it, 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 in, in, the, in the Sangha. It's just the, the sincerity of, of the practice. So, the incredible gift of people who are all of you here are just willing to stay with it through thick and thin um, and just keep opening it up and seeing what's there with heart, with kindness. And so just kind of out of out of gratitude, just sending around to all of us here. You know, may your awareness unfold. May you know that unshakable depth of contentment. May you know the freedom that's already here. And then sending out to the 12 step women down the hill from us, to the brothers, to the staff, to the voles and bobcats, and then sending out beyond all those around the planet, and then out into the universe. May all beings everywhere, no expansiveness, no clarity, no kindness, no ease, no luminous stillness, may all beings be free. May it be so. Blessed be. Please continue. Last time I was in touch with him, it was, but that was that was uh, (laughs) was probably over fifty years ago. No. Maybe I should, but the the reality is I don't. So, are you here to go go a little bit further with this? Or? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so let, let me. Uh, so, I'll will just walk through uh, the links, starting with pasa, starting with um, uh, with sense impressions. Uh, out of the suttanapada, out of the... Oh, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm very tired and my energy is good. I'm I'm really fine. Um, So, raw sensation. You all know what raw sensation is we've talked about. It's just, it's it's uninterpreted, unadorned um, sense impressions that have not been labeled. Uh, You hear... uh, you know, a sort of rumbling sound, and before you figure out whether it's traffic or the trees or the pond or something, there's just the sound, uh, and it's usually des- uh, described as uh, as a contact, which is contact between the sensory signal, like light, sensory organ like the eye, and its sensory awareness like seeing. Okay, um, and that. Very quickly gives rise to um, pleasing and unpleasing satam asatani, and um, and remember that uh, you know it's like vedna; it's just it's just a light on the dashboard. It's just a signal. It's it's not a fire alarm. It's it's nothing. that it has very very little charge to it. Um, And the nature of those signals can be painful, and they can be pleasant, and they can be this sort of fogginess that's neither it's neither painful nor pleasant, but it's kind of a, a signal that you may need a little more information. Uh, and there's a speculation about, you know, possibility of some kind of contact, you know, connection, need with other people. Um, Pain, pleasure, lack of clarity get a lot of bad press in spiritual circles. Um, but, you know, without those signals, you know, frankly, we'd walk in front of buses and uh, you know, get bought, bitten by dogs and uh, all kinds of stuff. So so we need the signals. Um, and also, if if the Vedna, the pleasing, unpleasing, uh, if that wasn't there, the only other option would be for the mind to sort through this incredible uh, torrent of data that's running through us all the time, and and try to figure out which is important and unimportant. So we can be thankful for Vedna; it just signals something that needs attention, and uh, and the rest can can slip away. Um, and that uh, then what happens is uh, is the signal is so laid back. Right. the signal is so laid back that uh, it's possible to just ignore it. So theoretically, you know, we could back into a stove uh, or, um, I don't know, overlook a rattlesnake by the path or something like that. So there's a backup system. So if, if there's this faint signal and there's something that really needs attention, then there's uh, this backup system that really energizes the system and, sort of, and really jacks up our motivation. Uh, so, if the signal is about safety then then the jacked up uh, signal is uh, you know hatred anger uh, those those kind of you know primitive um, aversion if it 's about um, a need satisfaction, then the signals are you know desire liking sweetness if it 's um, Really strong, it gets into lust, greed, all those. if the signal is about something that needs more information and we're not doing that, then you get this feeling of boredom, etc the that sort of thickness of mind um, up to this point, there are no words, no concepts these these are just uh, felt signals okay. Um, so what we have at this point is a signal. There is well, there's a sensation, and there is the signal. It made need to do something about. it. And if you haven't, then there's this charge to do something about it. But at this point, we don't know what it is we're supposed to do something about. So the next thing that happens is the upadana, or in the uh, in the early text, it's called pia. This end, it's this endearing. And in both of those, what happens is the mind. As I said before, kind of shrink wraps and gathers around this thing and uh, and tells us what it is we we need to do something about um, and it's it's actually in this place where where it starts to grab hold that the uh, that a sense of self begins to form right? because at that point. It starts off just as a phenomena where there's, let's say, aversion. So there's this feeling of pushing something away which gives rise to the sense that there's something out there to be pushed away, and there's something in here to push it away. So you get that, that first beginning of a sense of self. Are there something that's sweet, you know, that there feels some attraction to, which very rapidly gives rise to the sense there's an object out there and there's a me that's attracted to it. So it just arises right out of that.
2: Which one are we talking about right now? Which one of these are we talking about? Right oh, this,
0: this, this is uh, Upadana or Um and you'll notice on on the two of these um, that in the Sutta in the very early text, it goes right straight from that naming and that. Uh, uh, identifying and labeling right straight up to suffering, uh, the later text uh, break it down a little bit more, so you have something that you need to deal with, but you don 't necessarily have a plan at that point, so the plan arises up out of um, uh, habitual tendencies and as i as I, as I look at this um, I guess I really like the early text a lot more because uh the habitual tendencies are already there. Right. So habitual tendencies are just our our predisposition, our conditioning, um our beliefs, our ideas, etc. And what happens is is the uh is the labeling of pia or upadana gets thrown into habitual tendencies uh, and they start thinking about it and a a plan is formed. And this all may be done unconsciously or may be done very consciously but there's an action plan that's formed. And then if we act on it then um, there's uh, there's the possibility of suffering.
3: Could you
0: What's that all about?
1: That, well, that's not, that doesn't exist in the early one, right. the birth of action, which seems like a very definitive moment. So
0: well, what, what I would say, uh, so I think this is what was going on in this, is that the bhava and the jati, the habitual tendencies the birth of action, once once you get to clinging, once you get to endearing, if you start to move with those, they just happen. So they're actually embedded. They're, they're, they're just not separated out in there. Uh, and, and I think part of the reason for that is the scholarly thing that came in over the, over the years where these monks began to say, oh, there actually are these intermediary steps. Um, some of them are a little questionable to me you know, because um, you know, bhava, habitual tendencies, is actually different than the other links because the habitual tendencies, they're there. They're already there. They get triggered, so so they're they're necess- they're essential ingredient, but they're there, but they don't arise out of it. Um, but from the Buddha's perspective, if he's just interested in freedom, and if these things are going to happen automatically, uh, what the what you need to do to get free is to actually relax. Um, you know the upadana, the the the, the uh, you know the clinging are the endearing. And once you do that, then the suffering doesn't come out of it. And the intervening in-between steps, you know, they're not important because they'll just kind of run out anyway and whether or not you're going to identify them. And if we really got microscopic, we could probably break some of these down into more and more steps. But this originally was not intended as a treatise on you know metaphysics. It was, it was a really a practical explanation of how to practice. And so what you have in the early stuff is actually what's most relevant to your actual practice. You don't have to worry about the plan you came. Once once the mind is clamped down and, and decided it needs to do something about that, that's all you need to know. The, whether you're going to go here or there or something else uh, is all the same. So
3: it sounds that uh, you know, at this time, back when this was happening, that detachment was probably considered... Uh, something positive to have. And that's why, and maybe that's why the monastic orders came about, because the more de- detached you could be, the more likely, the, well, the assumption is that you would suffer less, which isn't true, but
0: well, yeah, it's at,
3: in the nature uh, of, of the being.
0: And, and there's a language issue in that because um, this passion is, um, is not being invested in it, but being interested. And detachment has that sense of, I don't care. And the Buddha was saying, no, we really have to know what's going on, and paying attention to what's going on is very, very important. But if, if, if you are betting on a horse, if you, if you want a particular outcome... Um, Actually, it's in the, in the uh, monotheistic traditions. Uh, it's actually stated really, uh, really clearly in phrases like um, "you do the best you can and dedicate the fruits of your labor to God." You know, so you do what you can, and the result of it is none of your business. Um, um, we don't have, you know, in Buddhism, we don't have that kind of language, that kind of theological um, structure behind it. But it's that attitude. You know, that your job is to pay attention and what comes out of it. It's really not any of your business personally, but it's really, really helpful to know, you know, what's what's going on there so you can understand. Um, and once you see how it operates, it's just... Um, As you see how, how it operates, that, that, that you know if you do something that's going to be painful, you just see it really clearly almost before you act, and it just becomes more and more difficult to act on it. Do you know the little thing about the, the cop and the thief? The what? Cop and the thief? <laughs> so this is, this is an Uutageneeism. He says, there's this little town, and there's a thief in the town and there's one cop. It's a good cop, you know. And it says, as long as the cop knows who the thief is, there's really no problem, right? So the thief goes off and does his thing. Well, the cop is on it, right? So he's, he's not going to get very far, right? But if you don't have a cop, you know, or if the cop doesn't care, or the cop is not paying attention, then you get got a problem. And so when there's awareness, when you see what you do, and you have a sense of what's going to happen from that, it, you don't need a bunch of rules. <laughs> you know, you can see, oh, this is going to be painful, and you just know what to do about it. But if you don't see it clearly and you don't see the consequences uh, that are coming, then you get into trouble. So um, the dispassion in, in the sense of not personalizing is really, really important. But with the one caveat, it's important to pay attention to what's going on so you don't... Uh, you know, ignorance and... Um, and confusion and delusion. Delusion can come from just bad information. You know, it's not necessarily, you know, psychosis or something like that. If bad information is bad information, so pay attention. What saying? Question:
2: so Subjectively, in the practice or in day-to-day life, mm-hmm. uh, the experiences come off as personal. I mean, there is, for example, if there is in practice when I'm paying attention to the object of meditation and the mind goes away, it's, I mean, usually my response is that I should have paid attention or I should have caught it before it went
0: away. Right. Well, and, uh, and so what I would suggest is that your actual experience is that, uh, is that the attention went away. I need to do something about it is added on top of that. That's not something you experience directly. That's an interpretation. So, uh, my, my, my sense of it um, is that, um, let me put it this way. Ego has two very different meanings. The way Freud used the term was uh, ego was a decision-making locus. Um, and he actually did not use the word ego. What he used is the German word self you know, when it was translated in English, it, that just seemed too ordinary, so they gave it Latin to, to elevate it. But he was really, he, Freud was really a phenomenologist who was looking at that. So, uh, so there's this decision-making locus, so um, I, I think of that as, you know, you're driving down, you're, you're, you're going to this party, you're really excited to get there, you're driving down the road, you have to cross the railroad track, there's a train coming to you, rush across or do you stop and wait for the train to go by? That's an ego decision. You're kind of sorting out your needs and reality and what you do. Um, and for young children, developing a sense of self is a way of creating a um, a much more efficient uh, decision maker. You know, if I am if I'm a good boy, then I know that when I walk in a house. I'm I'm not supposed to let the screen slam. Or wipe the mud off my feet. All these different things. I don't have to remember all those things. I'm a good boy, and all comes with it. So, uh, develop, in particular, develop a healthy sense of self. So you have ego as a sense of uh, as a sense of self, and you have ego as a decision maker. Two different meanings of the word ego. So, uh, early on in life, having a healthy sense of self uh, is deeply aligned. Um, with having a good decision-maker. As we go older and older and older, uh, our well-being becomes more and more dependent on a wider and wider circle of people. You know, so if I'm just taking care of my needs and ignore everybody else's, you know, that's going to blow back on me, you know, eventually. So, uh, so the circle of caring gets wider and wider and wider. And so the sense of an individual self particularly get into spiritual maturity, sense of the individual self um, begins to wane for the sake of making clear and clear decisions. Does that make sense? Can we
2: repeat the last part? So as the circle
0: goes wider and wider? Uh, your circle of caring, you know, who who's important if I if I am concerned with uh, my well being and I treat you like dirt. Uh, well, I'm going to feel terrible and, um, and when I'm in trouble, you're probably not going to be terribly available. So it's in my enlightened self-interest you know, to uh, help support a large, caring, fair community. Um, and so, uh, so the sense of an individual self, um, it's still there in practical purposes. You know, these are my shoes and that, et cetera, et cetera. But in terms of how you function in the world, As you mature spiritually, it just takes larger and larger and larger circles of people into account. So early on, making good decisions about taking care of yourself depends on developing a stronger and stronger, healthy sense of self. And then once you have that sense of self, then it needs to wane in in favor of a... Decision-making function gets clearer and clearer as it goes away. So why did I get into that? What was your first question?
2: Uh, in, in practice, I think you were talking, about, I was asking the question that when my mind goes away, I blame myself for it. Right. And then you're saying that, oh, right. that interpretation is after the fact.
0: Right. Yeah. That gets layered on top of it. Um, and, you know, and the healing of that is that what, what you want to get, and, and many of us have, you know, damaged sense of self, is, is, is that you actually want to cultivate and do what you need to develop a healthy sense of self, and then you can lose it. <laughs> you know? But to talk about getting rid of a sense of self when there's a lot of self-hatred in there just sounds like squashing down a self-denial and that's just more pain. So I, I think it was Roger Wallace who first said it, and he regrets it now, but I think he was absolutely right. He said you have, a, have to have a healthy self before you can get rid of it.
3: Pardon? It doesn't
0: matter. You're strong, you know. It. Right. You know it. right, 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 right. And that's, it and that, and that. that to prove that's right. That's right. Mm-hmm. That's right. And that's a place where, uh, you know, somebody says, you know, please, is, you're a terrible person, why'd do you do all that stuff? And you look inside and say, well, you know, you're probably right. I have done some terrible things, but, you know, what's interesting? Mm-hmm. No, it's it's not a. But if you have a strong ego, you have to defend. Then, then you end up using a lot of energy at that. Okay. Yeah, you're welcome. You're welcome. Thanks for your patience with me. Um, I have a stupid question that's going to show my ignorance. Good. Good. Oh, uh, it's the first stage of enlightenment.
1: Okay, so that's like way up
0: there. Yeah. It's, it's reserved for, I mean, reserved for
1: it. <laughs> How should I put this? Um, I mean, it's the it's, it's highest level
0: of... No, it's not the highest level. It's the beginning of the higher levels. And the important thing about stream entry, it's not a stupid question, is it does sound esoteric and far away. Um, but it's not. Um, and the Buddha was talking about something that really is accessible. It really is. So if I had to place it on a scale just so that I know where it is, would that be beyond the eighth? I'll give you a chart tomorrow with all of it. Yeah, so the eighth jhana is is, is sort of uh, the launching platform. And, and so how you practice uh, when you're eighth, eighth jhana... Is what the practice is from there, on, uh, from there on, uh, and then it, it, then it just unfolds from there. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, there was one. Uh, uh, so 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 this this is the extra prize <laughs> for hanging around, and uh, the
6: the pe- people.